0: For all the science to satisfy your gut, Deerland brings you Digestible, a podcast breaking down the trends of the nutraceuticals industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Digestible, a Deerland probiotics and enzymes podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Digestible. We appreciate you listening along to some industry thought leadership today. As we maneuver today's conversation, make sure that you're heading to our website, dearland.com Again, dearland.com For more information on our approach, to probiotics and enzymes, how we fit into the industry, uh, learning a little bit more about our solutions and services, and of course, to get some more Deerland content, including episodes of the show, of our podcast, some articles, blogs, videos, and more. You can also subscribe to Digestible on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations as well as notifications when we drop new ones. So for today's episode, we're excited to be highlighting one of Deerland's proudest philanthropy partnerships as a food and health wellness company tackling challenges around the intersection of food and broader well-being is our bread and butter and one of those core challenges that's facing the world today is food insecurity and honestly just lack of food in general in various localities across the u.s and this is an issue that is not only important to us Uh, but is important for the broader challenge of uh, beating food insecurity globally, and that's something that we really pride ourselves on focusing on and trying to tackle. And this is an issue that we've found impacts children especially. Today, almost one in five children live in poverty in the U.S., and the domino effects of limited access to food and the ways that that can break bonds within families can have long-term negative impacts on children's emotional health, mental health, and, of course, bodily health. So we wanted to support organizations in their communities that are working to solve these challenges head-on and lift people out of these food challenges. So through our family first philanthropy effort, we've partnered with the organization Gift of Hope, a nonprofit that's providing essentials and pathways to independence for families in the southern Taney County of Missouri. And on today's episode, what we wanted to do is bring Gift of Hope on for a conversation so we could give them a platform to share their mission, of course, and also to share some of their challenges that they're working to beat and ground the issue around how it intersects with our industry as well. Plus, we'd also like to invite you to a golf classic and auction in support of Gift of Hope, which we'll give more details on towards the end of the show. So make sure you stick around to hear all of that. So again, here to spread the word and offer some thought leadership today on this broader challenge and how their organization is working to tackle it is Jennifer Costello. She's director of the Gift of Hope organization. She's been with the org for four years now. Jennifer, great to have you on. How are you doing?
1: I'm great. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today?
0: Doing very well. Thank you for asking and thank you for joining us on the show. I'm really looking forward to picking your brain a bit on uh, the growth of the organization, how you've seen things evolve in the four years you've been on board, and where you see the future of the org going, especially with support from folks like Deerland. So let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, I want to start by better understanding, I guess, the growth of Gift of Hope Mm -hmm. and just tracking a little bit of history here. Uh, So I know the organization was birthed from a charity initiative at another enzyme company, actually, so could you give us the elevator pitch of the founding story for Gift of Hope?
1: Yes, so we used to be National Enzyme Company, and in 1989, um, at Christmas time, they saw that there was a need for families that had no way to provide gifts for their kids. And so in lieu of doing a gift exchange, they pulled their money and they were able to help several families, um, in their local area, um, with Christmas gifts. And it kind of went from there. They just, um, they worked with the schools and they saw that there was even more of a need than just Christmas, that there was a need for food, blankets. And in 1993, they actually became a 501c3 and became their own, um, charity.
0: Perfect. All right. Thanks for that context. So, You know, obviously, being an enzyme and probiotics industry podcast, I'm very curious how uh, the origination of Gift of Hope, sort of uh, being birthed from an enzyme company, how did that shape the vision of the organization or uh, the approach? for how you tackled this issue, or maybe just generally how you structured the company. Just any dynamics that you think uh, connect the dots between your uh, sort of original parent industry and where the company, or excuse me, the organization is at now.
1: Yeah, I think that um, the company that originated it, they were in the business of helping others with their enzymes and so they just have giving hearts and so they wanted to help their community um, and make them a healthier community um, as a whole. And so a lot of the programs formed from that thought, I guess, and that goal. And so that's why they had the the backpack program to provide nutrition. The Christmas share program that I said that they provided Christmas gifts for the families. They also actually would help with rent and electric and things like that so that children were safe during the winter months, essentially. So yeah, I think just from a giving heart and seeing a need to to have healthier children in the community.
0: Yeah, and I feel like that that health and wellness focus yeah. uh, that obviously you know the company had grounded in research and b2b motivated relationships that help uh, grow mm-hmm. the efficacy of these products uh, I, I think all of that helps probably shape that kind of grounded health and wellness approach That I think is so important for any community to have. And so it's encouraging to see a leader in the enzyme and probiotics industry sort of tackle that and then give birth to uh, this organization that now has found a total life of its own. So again, you mentioned it. The organization has been around now uh, for about 32 years since 1989. And, you know, that's a long time to see these challenges evolve in scope. Uh, so I'm curious if you can also track that for us. How have challenges around food insecurity, lack of access to food, how have those things changed in 30 years in Taney County specifically? Mm-hmm. Break down kind of what the demographics are facing there and why the work that Gift of Hope is doing uh, you know, matters to this community.
1: Yeah, so in Taney County, we are a tourist-based destination um county, and so honestly, our population has grown immensely over the the last 30 years. And we have a lot of people coming in that here that there are so many jobs, which is great, but there's a lot of minimum wage jobs. So people come in um, and they're not making a lot. And then what they don't realize a lot of times is since we are tourism-based, a lot of people are laid off during the winter months. So usually. Mid December to mid March, a lot of places shut down completely, and so people come here and they really just can't make a living wage, and so it just puts a lot more of people into poverty. And one of the issues that we're facing now is there's a lot of people living in extended stay hotels in our area, um, and that really impacts the kids because they they don't have um, necessarily a refrigerator always. They don't have a mic. Well, they have a microwave usually, but they don't have an oven, a stove, and so that affects just. The types of foods that we are able to give them, but it does put our area into um, quite a high poverty rate for sure. Um, and even in the schools, 75 percent of children are on free or reduced lunches, which is very high for the state average. And so we're always trying to figure out ways just to get the items that the kids need and not just food. Um, a lot of times they need blankets, they need clothes, uh, hygiene products, things like that. So we really work hard with the schools to Try to figure out what the needs are every year and it's always changing as well um, but i think that's where our our relationship with the schools come in really really handy and we work with currently eight schools in taney county so essentially all of the schools in in taney county which is great
0: so is there also an intersection with i guess the grocery infrastructure there and sort of just general access to food i know in a lot of areas that uh, have the sort of uh, socioeconomic dynamics you just broke down. Mm-hmm. There's also the compounding issue of food deserts where, yeah. within this, you know, the scope of a wide radius, uh, you don't have access to any kind of fresh food. And mm-hmm. that makes it very difficult to then, you know, access healthy foods and expand that diet. Is that also an issue that we see in Taney County? And if so, you know, expand yeah, on that for us.
1: It is. I think a lot of people have seen even just these last few months, the food prices have gone up. Substantially. Um, One issue that a lot of places, a lot of families here have is transportation. Mm. A lot of people don't have transportation, and we don't have public transportation. So, that in itself, even though there are food banks, people aren't able to get to those food banks to get the food. Um, And so, that is, I feel like, one of the largest issues. And a lot of times, they can't afford prices of food are kind of higher here compared to what people make. And so, it is, they don't know how to shop for healthy foods and prepare those foods. So they go for the more convenient fast food items, unfortunately. So I wouldn't say we are definitely, we aren't really a food desert. There are options, but I feel like it's just hard for a lot of people to get access to those options. I mean, the kids suffer as a a result because they have no control over where their food's coming from, so. Right.
0: Yeah, I want to, uh, I guess, Expand on those domino effects that you're yeah. you're mentioning here. You know, here in Dallas, I've done a lot of work with a similar program called Rainbow Days, which um, tries to find homeless and at-risk uh, youth. <laughs> in the area and provide not only the necessary food, but also um, things like casual after-school programs uh, to give them a sense of structure, whereas the rest of their personal life does not have said structure. uh, And also provide extras, like you said, blankets, school supplies, uh, just things to make General day to day life more comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I bring this up because uh, I think this is a, a pervasive challenge that shows how one issue that can impact the life of a child ends up domino affecting and sort of impacting the entire ecosystem of their day to day interactions, interpersonal interactions, how they succeed at school, et cetera. Yeah. So really, what I want to do is expand a bit on uh, how food insufficiency—excuse me, food insufficiency and food insecurities impact children on that sort of domino effect level, right? So the physical health mm-hmm. of children is obviously impacted from limited or low-quality food. Yeah. Beyond that, what other sort of domino effects can this have on children? Whether that's at home or at school, that you think uh, you know are worth noting and worth breaking down in this larger ecosystem of challenges.
1: Yeah so that's a great question a lot so much is affected when kids have poor nutrition um i hear a lot from the teachers just that like they have poor attendance they are sick more often they have low attention spans they act out in class um, and just even their self-esteem it it really suffers when they um, have poor nutrition and they don't know where their next meal is coming from and so that is a huge huge impact on their lives just in general um a lot of kids they're actually not excited for summer because they they know they won't have this, the meals provided through the school system every single day. And that really um, impacts them and scares them. And so the backpack program, um, what's awesome is that a lot of times their attendance is higher, especially on Fridays, because they don't want to miss um, getting that backpack full of food because it is a security for them. And at home, we, I mean, we don't always know what's going on at home, um, but at least they, they have that to look forward to, which is extremely impactful. And a lot of times what's sad is, especially around here, I don't know if you've heard of the term, but um, generational poverty. But a lot of children that grow up in poverty, that's what they see. And they kind of just repeat that cycle because they don't have the confidence to reach for more and they don't know any other way. And so we try to, through a lot of programs, just inspire them and um, show them that there is a a different route that they can take, that they have potential and and better options than just um, staying in poverty.
0: You know, I appreciate that your organization tackles it both, at that sort of interpersonal, uh, social-emotional wellness level, right, of uh, giving children confidence. Uh, but also intersecting that with, with material challenges, mm-hmm. right? And giving these families those material resources to lift themselves out of that poverty as well, um, or to find pathways to independence, like yeah. uh, you know the core of your organization says. Um, because yeah, a, a lot of times that generational poverty also uh, comes from the fact that um, there just really aren't that many Pathways. You know, there aren't there aren't ways to change that cycle. And no matter how much uh, you know, folks may want to break out of it. Uh, sometimes, just the opportunities and the resources aren't there to realize that. And so, I appreciate what Gift of Hope is doing here to really uh, encourage that and also build those pathways so that. Families can find that independently, right? Because I I think that's important. Now, you know, you you broke down these challenges that children are facing uh, and how they intersect with food insufficiency. I'm also, you know, curious how you see that impacting them long term because obviously these are challenges in the short term. We want to get kids fed, we want kids to have a positive school and at home experience, Uh, but uh, you know, solving those can feel sort of uh, granular. And I think mm-hmm. it's important to lay out how this can create larger domino effects that impact not only their physical health and emotional health, uh, but also just sort of the health of the community mm-hmm. at, at large. So go ahead and draw those parallels for us. How do you see this shaping long-term challenges for children as they grow into and then become you know, productive adults within uh, the world around them?
1: Yeah, I think through a lot of the programs, it essentially shows them that somebody does care about them um, and that there is hope in the world. Um, so I think that's a, a big factor, honestly, because they we get notes from some of the kids just, yeah, just how excited they are to get the food and that they're just excited that there's somebody out there that cares about them that wants to help them um, because we don't know them personally necessarily. Um, and so I think that does put hope in their heart and it kind of shows them like that, there, is, there could be a brighter future, definitely. And in the short, I mean, well, it's short-term, but it does help long-term is that it is giving them the essential nutrients that they need. And so in a lot of cases, it helps kids actually graduate high school because they um, are getting the food every weekend and that's that security. And it gives them enough nutrients so that they actually are functioning and growing at a normal level. Because a lot of times when there's not, uh, when there's food insufficiency, a lot of the children, um, their growth is stunted not just physically, definitely physically, but um, also just emotionally, mentally, and all of that. And so this helped kind of keep them at an even level with all of the other kids in their class as well.
0: I want to get your thoughts on some changes that you've seen during your tenure here at the organization. So yeah. again, as a reminder, you've been at Gift of Hope for about four years. You gave us some context on how you see these challenges manifesting in Taney County. Uh, how has the mission of Gift of Hope, uh, whether that's, just sort of at a high level, uh, as well as down to the granular programs and resources that you provide. How have those things evolved to also match how food insecurity and food insufficiency challenges have evolved in Taney County over your four years?
1: Yeah, so I feel like our mission, thankfully, has pretty much stayed the same, that we want to assist children and families in need in Taney County. Um, But we've just been able to thankfully grow um, and have more programs and assist more children. Um, all of our programs have grown quite substantially over the last few years. Our backpack program, we started just a handful of children and we're almost to a thousand children in eight different schools, which is amazing. Um, and sadly, the need grows every year. So it will continue to grow um, and hopefully we'll be able to meet those needs. Um, and then our Christmas program, they adopted one family at the very beginning. Um, and now we usually adopt 12 to 14 families at Christmas time and take them shopping for everything that they might need to get through winter and then also Christmas presents. And for that program as well, and instead of just being able to assist with Christmas presents, we actually also assist a ton of families with rent assistance, electric, water. Like I said in the beginning, um, we're a tourist-based industry. So a lot of families are laid off during the winter months. And so those are the months that we, um, assist those families, that things happen, you know, hospital stays that they didn't plan on, um, higher electric bills, um, and things like that. So um, that program has also grown, and then we've added other ones just um, as we've seen a need um, in the community. And we also do scholarships as well, which that is fully funded by Deerland, which is awesome um, mm-hmm. college scholarships. But yeah, we kind of we've grown and evolved as we've seen the need, and we'll continue to do so. Yeah, in the years to come, which is we're very thankful that we've been able to do that.
0: It sounds like a lot of your programs. Uh, I mean, I say a lot, really all of them. And the whole core of your mission is to be responsive to the needs of the community. How does Gift of Hope get an ear to the ground and listen to what those needs are? How do you make sure to stay uh, tapped in and in touch with that community to actually reflect what their needs are in that moment and, you know, try to anticipate them as well?
1: Yeah, I stay. Well, I'm part of a lot of organizations that there's a bunch of nonprofits in the area, and so we have monthly meetings, and so we're always discussing, you know, how we can partner, how we can work together, um, and different needs uh, emerge through those conversations. And then we also work extremely closely with our schools, and they they know firsthand because they're seeing um, in the, in the classroom what the children are needing, what they're wanting, what issues there seeing a rise that we can maybe help with. And so they're always reaching out to us as well. So it's kind of a combination of working with other nonprofits and the schools. And it's been extremely helpful um, because there's things that I wouldn't know if I didn't have the communication with all of them um, since I'm not in the classroom every day. Because our main focus, it's the families, but it's really because of the children, Um, because the children don't have a way to help themselves. A lot of times they don't always have a voice. And so we want to make sure that they're taken care of.
0: Let's ground some more recent challenges. I know everyone's basically tired of talking pandemic at this point, but we are still facing some of the long-term repercussions of that last year, year and a half. So what extra challenges did your, excuse me, did your organization have to tackle during that pandemic, during the last uh, 12 to 18 months? What extra challenges cropped up and uh, how did you tackle them to continue serving children during the pandemic with all of the health and safety measures on top of already existing challenges.
1: Yeah, so it was a, a lot of people had to kind of pivot and change what they were doing, yeah. we also did. Um, so we, For us, the pandemic hit right when kids were in, on spring break and we knew that the, all the schools were gonna be shut down. So for our back- backpack program, for instance, we were like, how are we gonna get this, the food to the children every weekend? thankfully our schools, like I've said, they are amazing to work with. And I worked with each school individually, and we came up with a plan to get the food to the children. Um, And it was a combination of different things that the schools did. Um, Some of them did scheduled pickup days every single week that the, the families could come get the food. Other schools, they actually would hand deliver the food to the houses of each student, which was amazing. Some did a school bus route, and use the school bus to like deliver all of the items, but essentially every single child that needed the food, they were able to get the food. And we actually saw quite an increase um, in our smaller rural schools during the pandemic. And here, thankfully uh, that lasted during the springtime. When kids went back to school in uh, end of August, thankfully most kids were in school. So that made it a little bit easier. Our main issue then we found is a lot of, um, food distributors have been having shortages on individual packaged items. And so we really had to kind of restructure the items that we gave kids every single month because every month several items were just unavailable. So that was kind of a struggle, but thankfully we, um, in the end, were able to get kids a different variety of foods that they hadn't had before. Um, and we still try to keep it as healthy as possible. Um, and then we were able to see what what other items kids might actually like and eat. So it, Ended up being a blessing in disguise, but it was a little bit hard to kind of juggle um, working with our budget and making sure the kids got enough food every single month. So I'm hoping when school starts again in the fall, it'll be a little bit better. But this year, it was a bit of a struggle.
0: Yeah, you're definitely not the only ones that have felt some uh, food supply chain disruptions. We do lots of reporting on that here on my end and everything from ketchup packets to chicken (laughs) wings are very expensive now in ways you wouldn't think they would be. So <laughs> it's uh, it's encouraging that Deerland is staying on top of those kinds of challenges and making sure to provide food that the local community wants and also uh, can get something out of, right? Not only just like the energy, the daily energy, uh, but also uh, at a nutritional level that it is giving them something to build a uh, broader diet off of. So that's really encouraging stuff there. Uh, So what I want to do now is bring Deerland a little bit more into the conversation. Uh, I know Deerland acquired... The National Enzyme Company, which was sort of the original parent organization of Gift of Hope, uh, that acquisition happened two years ago. And with that came a want to continue to support Gift of Hope and continue that sort of, uh, I guess now slightly removed, but sort of spiritual partnership there, right? So how does Deerland's partnership uh, support Gift of Hope? What are some of the more specific ways that the two organizations work together? And uh, in the last two years, since it went from being an independent org to you know, Deer Dearland stepping in to support. How have you seen that relationship change?
1: Yeah, so we're very thankful to have Deerland. Um, one of the things that they do, at least at our Forsyth location, is employees can do a payroll deduction, um, and then Deerland actually matches it, and all of that funding goes to Gift of Hope, which is amazing. Dearland also, they uh, sponsor like our golf tournament. Um, for me, it's great. They uh, I have insurance through them. They pay my salary, so that way, essentially, Gift of Hope has no... Fees, like everything that we earn goes toward our programs, which is kind of rare for most nonprofits. A lot of them have a huge overhead where a lot of, you know, a lot of the profit goes to the overhead. So for us, we essentially have no overhead, which is amazing. So it's like 99% of everything goes directly to our programs, which, yeah, we love. So, um, and then we do get the support of Jirland just for um, getting the word out about everything um, and they're just big supporters of us in general, so it's been a, a really great partnership that Gift of Hope is extremely grateful for.
0: You mentioned Deerland's uh, involvement with Gift of Hope allows y'all to fund an entire scholarship program. Yeah. Can you break down the impact of that program and how you've seen that resonate with and help create those pathways for independence for communities?
1: Yeah. And for so. Yeah, our uh, scholarship program. We do it at our the Forsyth High School, um, because that's where Deerland is located, is in Forsyth, Missouri. And every year we choose four uh, high school seniors and they get a college scholarship for $500 each semester that they are in college up to four years. And so, yeah, it's amazing for them because it kind of takes a little bit of a financial burden off of them. A lot of them are still working while they're going to school, but this helps pay for their books or part of their dorms day. Um, and so, yeah, that helps them have the confidence and the extra funds to be able to f- to finish college. A lot of them they're the first um, person in the family to go to college. So that's a very, very essential program that we are very proud of. And yeah, 100% funded by Deerland.
0: So for our listeners watching then, how can they get involved uh, or how can they also participate in supporting Gift of Hope being part of this community?
1: Yeah, so we have a lot of information um, on our website, which is, I don't know if you can put in the show links or anything like that, but it's um, Gift of Hope Inc. Um, and we also have a Facebook page and we post a lot of information on there as well. Um, and then there's contact information there if they want to call me or email me, have questions. Um, we do have PayPal links if anybody ever feels in their heart to donate, which is always awesome. So um, but lots of information there. We have a video as well that goes over all of our programs that we didn't go over today, but um, just shows the yeah, what we do in the community, which is awesome. It'll make you cry, probably.
0: <laughs> hey, I, I make sure to try to cry at least once a day, you know, yeah. flushes some emotions out. So. Yeah,
1: it's
0: good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'll lock that in for after this and, you know, awesome. lock that in for the day. Thank you. Um, last thing that I want to highlight here with you, Jennifer, is, you know, Gift of Hope is hosting their eighth annual charity golf classic and auction that's happening on September 14th in Taney County. That's a big event. I know it's really important to supporting y'all's mission and uh, you know helping drive funds and resources to yeah. the work you're doing. So tell us a bit about what we can expect at that charity golf classic and auction, and how people can join.
1: Yes, So thank you. It is our eighth annual charity golf um, classic and auction, and we're so thankful to be able to, to host it this year. Last year we had to cancel it due to COVID. We wanted to be cautious of every of you know everybody's safety and health, um, so we did an online. Golf tournament, um, but yeah. So this year it will be live in person. It is on September fourteenth uh, at Ledgestone Country Club um, in Branson West. Um, really wonderful golf course. We uh, start at nine thirty. We do a shotgun golf start, as they call it, um, and we have breakfast included and lunch and award ceremony um, and then an auction um, as well, which is a lot of fun. And so people can. They can be a sponsor. They can have a team there. They can come play individually um, or they can donate items for our auction as well, which is awesome um, and much appreciated. So yes. And we have um, information on our Facebook page about that, or they can always contact me and I can send them information as well. But it is our largest fundraiser of the year. And the majority of those funds are what go to um, purchase food for our backpack program.
0: Incredible. And that kind of stuff is very essential and making sure all students feel like they have uh, you know, those basics and can integrate into the school year confidently. Uh, yeah. That goes such a long way, it goes such a long way. So yeah, thank you, Jennifer, so much for sharing Gift of Hope's journey Gift of Hope's vision and some of the ways that your work has changed over the last several years, and how you keep an ear to the ground to make sure you really represent the needs of the community. Last thing that I want to ask you before we wrap up our show is what you see for the future of the orga- excuse me, for, of the organization. Um, you know, obviously, challenges around food insufficiency and food insecurity will continue to evolve and uh, manifest in different ways. So I'm curious what you see the future being of these challenges in Taney County and how you see mm-hmm. Gift of Hope hope continuing to play a proactive role in meeting those challenges head on?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of our programs we have now are just going to grow. Um, we have a Sense of Pride store at our 4 school, which I never mentioned. But it is a way that children earn pride bucks um, through good behavior, good grades, and they can go purchase, um, with this fake money, um, items that they need, school supplies, shoes, clothing, healthy snack items, um, sports items, things like that. And I see that expanding to more of the schools in Taney County, it's a really fantastic program. Um, I see our backpack program also expanding. We always, like I said, we always see an increase every year um, in the need and we try to fulfill the need when we can. And then I also would hope that we can maybe form some programs really to change the mindset of a lot of the children in generational poverty, just to give them hope. and just an outlook that they they can improve their lives, and so that's that's a goal for me definitely is to figure out some kind of program, maybe to have speakers going into the schools to really um, light a fire under a lot of the kids to to motivate them to to do better because they can so.
0: All right. Jennifer Costello, director of the Gift of Hope organization. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us your thoughts today on the program. And again, if folks want to find out more about the program, they can go to Uh, giftofhopeinc.org. Jennifer, is there anywhere else that we should be pointing them today?
1: Yeah. If they want to like our Facebook page, we also post a lot of information on there as well.
0: Perfect. Easy enough. All right, Jennifer, thank you so much for your time. It's really been a pleasure chatting today. I'm really glad we could highlight Gift of Hope.
1: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you.
0: And thank you everyone for watching today's episode of Digestible, a Deerland Enzymes and Probiotics podcast. If you like what you heard and want some more Deerland content, make sure that you're heading to our website, Deerland.com. Again, Deerland.com and subscribe to Digestible on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Digestible.